this past week, ABC News' 2020 did a special uh, over Kayla Mueller. Uh, maybe you had the opportunity to see that or to read about her story. But Mueller was a Christian young woman who had dedicated her life to humanitarian concerns. And in, in 2012, she went to southern Turkey. She went there to serve with the Syrian refugees. And, and in serving with the Syrian refugees, uh, she had the opportunity to travel into Syria and to help her boyfriend with a communications project at a Doctors Without Borders facility. And, and so she traveled into Syria, but in the midst of this trip, she was captured by uh, ISIS captors, and she was held, uh, she was held hostage. And for 18 months, Miss Mueller uh, faced incredible and intense uh, torture. There was about a six-week reprieve, but, but those who were uh, held with her and who were able to, to be released tell stories of the kinds of terrible atrocities that she faced. Some of the ca- uh, captives said that they brought her out of the cell and they, they brought her to this group of men who were being held captive and they said, uh, she's smarter than you are, she's brighter than you are. And you know what? She converted to Islam, and she had the courage to speak up and say, I did not convert to Islam. She maintained her Christian faith throughout this uh, horrible ordeal. Now, these who were, have been released and who can sort of tell her story tell of a young woman who was selfless, who put others ahead of herself constantly, who had a Christ-like spirit in love even in the midst of facing the worst and most terrible kinds of horrors. We understand the kinds of horrors that we're talking about. Ms. Mueller faced all of that. And yet somehow, someway, she maintained a spirit of love. In fact, she had the opportunity to escape at one point. And there were several younger Yazidi girls who, who also we're, we're going to try to escape. And instead of going with those Yazidi girls, she helped them escape, but she stayed, fearing that the presence of an American with that group would make the captors come after them uh, much more fiercely. And so she remained behind, and after 18 months in captivity, she died. Now, how do you keep the kind of attitude that Mrs. Mueller had in the face of such horror, surrounded and held captive by the enemy. Well, this morning we'll consider what Jesus has to say about responding to our enemies. Hopefully none of us will ever face the kinds of atrocities that Miss Mueller faced, but every one of us are going to face people who oppose us. Every one of us are going to face people who in one way or another would, would harm us. Enemies, you might say. We all know that people are tough to get along with. That, that really starts right here, doesn't it? Sometimes I'm tough to get along with, and, and sometimes you, you are too. That's, that's the nature of, of being sinful. We, we're difficult at times, but how do we work with people, especially people who seem to be just set against us? Well, today's passage is going to guide us in the midst of these kind of relational landmines. We'll be in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 43, as we continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches how disciples are called to live. The world, those who are unbelievers, may live this way, but those who are his followers are called to live like this. 
And the Sermon on the Mount helps us understand, if we belong to him, how our lives should look. And so, in the preceding verses, Jesus has been explaining the true intent of the law. He, he will say over and over, and today is this, the final statement that we'll look at that is, that is similar to this. But he'll say over and over, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. And he continues that pattern today. So in a sense, Jesus is helping to explain the purpose of the Old Testament law. He's helping explain what it's really about. In this morning's passage, he's going to teach us more about how to respond to our enemies. Last week, we talked about how to respond to those when we're harmed, how we shouldn't retaliate, but we should show sacrificial love. And so this theme of how to respond when wronged and how to deal with our enemies will continue in today's passage. Matthew 5, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In these verses, Jesus teaches that we are called to love our enemies. And in so doing, we display the love of God. We display his love. Look in verse 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Now, love your neighbor is found in the Old Testament law, Leviticus 19, 18. Uh, the, the Israelites were instructed to love their neighbor, and that part makes perfect sense to us. But this part about hate your enemies, there's nowhere where Scripture uh, says that the Old Testament uh, people of God were supposed to hate their enemies. However, it could be that, that this mindset had kind of developed among the Jews because of some of the, the passages where, where God's enemies are talked about. For example, in Uh, In Psalm 139, verses 21 and 22, King David expresses hatred toward those who are enemies of God. At any rate, it had developed, this mindset had developed that you should love your neighbors and hate your enemies among the Jewish people. And so Jesus is going to confront that line of thinking. That line of thinking. And in verse 44, Jesus says, now I'm going to tell you what the true intent of the law is. Notice in verse 43 that enemy is in the singular. Love your enemy. But notice in verse 44, it it suddenly becomes plural. There's a sense in which Jesus is saying, you must love all of your enemies. This is universal. This is the way that you respond to people. It's it's to respond in love, even to those who, who are against you. So what is love? Love is, from a biblical perspective, it's to have a kind spirit to someone, and ultimately it's It's to be self-sacrificial. It's to to look out for the other person's good, not not your own. So we're called to have that kind of an attitude toward those who are our our enemies. Now, he says, pray for your persecutors. And, of course, we understand that persecution or those who would persecute us, that's one type of enemy. There are all sorts of enemies that we could face. One type are those who, who would persecute us. And he says, what should we do? With our enemies, we ought to love them, and then we ought to pray for them. And prayer is one way that we can love them. There are other ways that we can love our enemies, but certainly prayer ought to be a part of that. Now, of course, it makes perfect sense that when we pray 
for our enemy, our hearts are softened and we begin to develop a love for them. And when we have that love for our enemies, it's easier to pray for them. And so, in many ways, these two work together to, to love our enemies and to pray for our enemies. Help us to, to do both uh, as, as, we, as we respond and obey to God. In verse 45, we see some reasons that we ought to love our enemies. What does Jesus say here? So that you may be sons of your father. What's he saying? So that you can look like your dad. You're going to claim to be a follower of Jesus. You're going to claim to walk with Jesus and to love him. Well, then act like God. Be, be a son of your father. There ought to be family resemblance. That's what Jesus is saying. Our character ought to be being shaped and conformed so that we're like God, so that we have a kind of holiness and, and love for others that would line up with, with God's own character. We ought to have the appearance of being heavenly, that is, of being like our heavenly Father. Now, sometimes when an, uh, uh, a baby's born, you'll hear, well, that baby, she looks just like her mother. And usually it's the maternal grandparents who say that, right? Or, that baby, she looks just like her daddy. Well, that's the, the uh, dad's parents, right? That's just the way it works. We, we have a tendency of seeing that baby look like the parent we want them to look like sometimes. We understand that, but as believers, Jesus is saying quite clearly, if you're a son of the Father, if you're a daughter of the Father, you ought to look like him. There ought to be clear family resemblance. It ought to be obvious to the people around whose child you are. That, that ought to be clear. Now, in verse 46, we see another reason that we ought to love our enemies. Because God loves them. And in these verses, we see the common grace of God. The fact that he makes the sun rise on his children as well as those who are not his children. He makes the sun rise on the just and the unjust. He makes the rain fall on those who are wicked and those who are not. Those who are a part of his family. You see, God shows this kind of indiscriminate care for all people. We call it his, his common grace, his grace to everyone. And as his children, we ought to love like that, all people, even those who are our enemies. I want you to imagine that you have gone on a, on a little vacation. You've taken a trip down to... Uh, one of the coasts. And you stand there at the edge of the beach as the waves are rolling up and you look out across the ocean. And you look out and all you see, miles and miles and miles and miles of water. It looks endless when you're standing there, right there at the edge of the sh on the edge of the shore. It looks endless. It looks like it goes on forever. And in many ways, that's what our love ought to look like. Because that's the kind of love that God has. It's a love that stretches forth. It's a love that's ongoing. And if we belong to him, that's what our love should be like. That, that's, that's what Jesus is saying here. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. The sun to rise on the wicked and on his children. Now in verse 46, Jesus asks, what reward is there in loving only those who love you. He says even the tax collectors love, 
like this. Now, the tax collectors, he's probably talking about those who were a part of the, the Roman tax gathering system. And basically, mostly uh, Romans held these positions, but, but some Jews would purchase the right to collect taxes from the Roman government. And this was a very corrupt system. They would, they would uh, work with the Roman government, and then they would overcharge their, their fellow countrymen. They would overcharge the, the Jews, and they were despised. For one, one reason, they were despised because they were working with the Roman government. They were like traitors. And not only that, they were taking advantage of their very own people. So they were considered the most worthless of all people. And Jesus says here, if you love those who love you, what is there special in that? Even the worst of the worst love the people who love them. He's saying to us that if we belong to him, there ought to be something remarkably different about our love. It shouldn't be merely the love of those who are not believers, but it ought to be a love that is absolutely like God's love, his own love. A love that that just keeps going. Your love ought to be exceptional. It ought to be different. Now, in verse 47, he says, Similarly, if you're only kind, if you only greet your brothers, aren't you just like everyone else? Isn't that how the Gentiles or or the unbelievers behave? So here Jesus is talking uh, about being friendly to someone. You know, if you have someone who's an enemy, when you see them and you... You've never done this, have you? Kind of see them from a distance, you kind of turn away, maybe I can avoid them, take a different aisle in Walmart. Oh, none of you have done that, I know, but I've heard of people who did stuff like that. But Jesus is saying, no, you need to be kind to all people. You need to show goodness to all people. Don't, don't just be like the Gentiles, but be like those who belong to God, who are children and sons and daughters of God. One commentator said it like this, to return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good is human, but to return good for evil, well, that's divine. And we understand that. We recognize that. We see that. That's what ought to make us different. We have that mark of of God's love in our lives. Verse 48, we, we get hit right in the face with a statement that's shocking to us. What does Jesus say? You ought to be perfect just like God is perfect. Wow. You, you ought to be like him. Leviticus 19.2 says this, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You see, God is perfect. He is completely holy. He's without sin. And what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that you and I were to be the very same way. And we recognize that this side of heaven, we're, we're not going to be perfect. We, we understand that. But that ought to be our goal, that our lives would line up with the Lord himself, that the character of God would be like a plumb line. And instead of comparing ourselves to this person or that person, we always choose people who are, who are worse. We ought to compare ourselves to God himself. And we ought to drop the plumb line of our lives and we ought to ask, how does my life conform to this, to this standard? And as believers, we ought to strive by the grace of God to live lives that are holy, lives that are marked by love, lives indeed that, that are in line with the standard of God's own character and holiness. 
In 1 Peter 2.12, Peter urged believers, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What's Peter saying? He's saying, make sure that you live in such a way that even those who are not believers and who would speak poorly of you, recognize that truly your life is different. Recognize that your love is not like the love of the world, that your love is not like the love of the Gentiles, but that your love is like the love of God himself, a lavish, undying love. Let that be what marks your life in, in view of those who do not know God, who are separated from him. Your life becomes a powerful testimony of the, the goodness of God and the work of God. Again, none of us will achieve perfection this side of heaven, but every one of us in the power of God ought to strive to be like him in every way, not making excuses or rationalizations for why we can't be this or we can't be that or we always want to say, well, they did this or he did that or she did this. None of that, none of that. There's not room for that here. No, what's right is that we say, God, would you work on this, this man right here? He's the one that needs work. God, would you shape me and change me so that no matter what this person does or that person does, would you shape me and change me so that I'm like you? So that I look like you? So that I love like you? Now, as we think through applying this in our our lives, first, look for ways to practically love your enemies. Look for ways to practically love your enemies. First, be kind as you have opportunity. Speak to someone who you might consider a post. You don't go to the trouble to try to avoid them. What do we see in verse 47? To, to, to greet them, not as an unbeliever, but as a believer, to, to be friendly, even to those who are opposed to you. Meet practical needs as you can. What does God do? He causes the sun and the rain to, to shine on the just and the unjust, to those who are his children and those who are his enemies. And so we too ought to strive to, 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 to love people and to meet practical needs as we can, not to spite them, but to express genuine Christ-like love. Now, none of this can be done in our own strength. This is not of human origin, and that's the very point of this passage. When we love like this, we're revealing that there's something at work in our lives that's greater than ourselves. We're revealing that God himself is at work in our lives, and he's changing and shaping us. This is a love that screams out that God is real and that he changes lives. That's what it does. We, we can't do this in our own strength. In fact, how do we love like this? Well, one, we walk in the Spirit. The Scriptures tell us to be filled with the Spirit. So we strive every moment to, to honor God and the things we say and do. And when we fall short, we ask Him to forgive us. And we say, God, I want to walk in, in the Spirit. I want to I please you and honor you every moment. So we strive to walk in the Spirit. Also, we focus on the joy that's ahead. Because... I can't stand here and pretend that some of you haven't been wronged in ways that were horrible. Some of you have had to face some really, really, really difficult situations. And for me to get up and say, love your enemies, well, that sounds all nice and all coming from a preacher that hasn't faced what what you've faced, perhaps. So we cannot do this in our own strength. And what do we do? We meditate on the love that God has shown us. And as we meditate on the love that we've been shown in Christ, we're, we're enabled 
by God's spirit to say, you know what, what they did was wrong, what this person did was wrong, but I'm gonna forgive them and I'm gonna love them in, in Christ's name and by his power. Now, another way that, that we're able to live this out is by focusing on the joy that's ahead. Note in verse 46, Jesus talks about reward. You see, for those of us who belong to God, we look forward one day to standing before him. And we look forward to receiving reward for, for the kinds of lives that we lived. Now, we don't get into heaven by our own effort. All of us understand that. As you read scripture, scriptures are clear. The only way that I can be in heaven is because of the perfect work of Jesus on the cross. That's it. That's the only way. I can't say to God, well, look, God, I did this and I did that. Aren't you proud of me? High five. No, my life, my heart is so sinful, I could never own, earn my way into a relationship with God. The only hope that I have when I stand before Jesus, before a holy God, is that I called out to the Lord Jesus in faith and I said to him, I want to follow you. I don't want to go my own way anymore. Please forgive me. And when I've done that, the scriptures are clear. God saves me. He'll save you. He'll begin to shape you and change you. But the scriptures are clear once we have done that. And we, we meant it in our hearts. And there's been a time that we really weren't born again. The scriptures are clear that we'll be rewarded later in heaven for, for lives of faithfulness. So here, when we face enemies and they harm us, one of the motivations, one of the ways to help us love them is to remember that this world is not the end of the story but that one day we'll be rewarded in heaven for our faithfulness that that we'll know god in a special way and and that we'll experience his blessing and the joy of of, of being rewarded by him on the other side in fact Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 11 and 12, Jesus said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So how do I keep loving? Because I remember that I'm going to have a heavenly reward. And things may not be made right here on earth, but one day God will make all things right. Second, pray for your enemies. Plain and simple. Pray for your enemies. Pray for them regularly. Pray for your own heart in regards to them. Say, God, help me to have the right heart toward him or toward her. And, and pray for God's blessing in their lives. Pray for God to, to be at work and to bring them to, to salvation. Have a regular prayer list that you pray for and include your enemies in that list. Now, ultimately, our enemies may consider us as such, but we should Always understand that ultimately, as believers, even our enemies are our neighbors. In Romans 12, verses 19 and 20, Paul said, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. We don't take revenge into our own hands. We leave it in God's hands. And we live Christ-like lives. Now understand that what Jesus is talking about here is how we respond to people in our personal relationships. This is not a rejection, as we talked about last week, of, go of the government or of governing authorities uh, executing justice against evil. We see in Romans 13 that it's entirely appropriate for the government to to execute justice and to maintain order. That's a good thing. That's a right thing from a biblical perspective. So this isn't rejecting uh, all governmental authority. We, we also 
I talked a bit about this last week. This isn't a rejection of of self-defense. What's in view here isn't a violent attack where someone's trying to kill you. And we know that all life has value because every one of us has been made in the image of God. And so in a self-defense situation where someone's seeking your life or the lives of your family, uh, I think from a biblical perspective, you have the right to protect your life because your life matters and, and your life is made in the image of God. But this is how we deal with people when they strive to hurt us or harm us, not in a violent attack against us. It also isn't a blanket endorsement of, of, of all evil or to say, you know what, I'm not going to deal with difficult situations or confront things that are not right. It, it isn't that. When, when you think about uh, Scripture, as a pastor in 2 Timothy, uh, countless places, but 2 Timothy, I have a responsibility to, to guard the gospel. If someone in this congregation who's a member of First Baptist Church Uvalde is teaching heresy, I have a responsibility as a pastor to go to them and to confront them, never with the intent to harm them, but always with the intent to help them get back on track. It's, the motivation is love. The motivation is they're good. So, so scripture doesn't call us to just say, well, evil's fine. We don't deal with it. As a brother and sister in Christ, you have the responsibility to, to, to call out a, a fellow brother or sister who's, who's not walking right in the Lord and to do so in love, of course. So, so we recognize that this isn't suggesting that we don't deal with the hard issues. No, we have to. That is an act of love, to, to go to someone and to try to help them get back on track. It may feel unpleasant, but it's an act of love, and, and it should only be done with a spirit of love. So third, evaluate your life. This verse or this section of scripture ought to cause us to evaluate your life. Are you really a believer? Here's a test of genuine Christianity. How do you treat your enemies? Because this passage tells us that if you belong to him, if you're his son or his daughter, that you're going to love them. So if you don't love your enemies, it could be an indication that you're not a part of God's family. Or it could be that you need to do business with God and repent and make things right and, and begin to, to live out this kind of, of Christ-like love even toward those who would oppose you. But it ought to cause us to ask questions. If, if you're always having trouble with people and if it seems that you have no love for those who are opposed to you, it ought to cause you to ask, do I really belong to him? Am, am I his child? Has there ever been a time in my life where I've truly been born again, where I've truly experienced the life-changing grace of the Lord Jesus? And if that hasn't happened... What an incredible opportunity is before you today. What an incredible opportunity. Do you recognize, sir, ma'am, that today you could have all your sins wiped away? And today you could have the guarantee that you could spend eternity in heaven with him. That you could become really... A member of God's own family today. If you would say to God, I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want to go my own way anymore. I believe in you and I want to follow you. The scriptures are clear that when you call out to God in that manner, he saves you and you become a part of his family and he begins to do the work that we're talking about. He begins to shape your heart so that you begin to love your enemies. So today, if you do not know him or if there's questions, let's deal with that today. What a great opportunity is before you. Fourth, do you resemble your father in how you treat others? Do you resemble your father in how you treat others? We're talking about loving your enemies, but what about those times when it feels like your husband or your wife's your enemy? That happens, doesn't it? Sir, do you keep loving her 
in the midst of the difficulty? Do you keep bearing with her and striving to love her and show her the love of Christ? Ma'am, do you keep bearing with your husband? Striving to, to work through the, the challenges that you face? Or what about it's your children who at the moment feel like your enemies? Parents, we gotta, we gotta bear with them and walk alongside them. We can't lose our cool and, and make them enemies. We've gotta, we've gotta love them. Children, teenagers, what about when your parents feel like your enemies? What does God want you to do? He wants you to keep loving them. He wants you to keep submitting to them. Even if it seems unfair, even if it seems unjust, unless there's something wicked or evil that you're facing, like abuse or something. Otherwise, God wants you to submit. He wants you to strive to love them. And the list could go on. Coworkers, neighbors, we want to love them. Fifth, you want to know the most beautiful act of love. The most beautiful act of love is to share the gospel with people. It's to tell people about Jesus. You want to really love someone? Then tell them about how they can know the King of kings, the Lord of lords, how they can have God as their father. That's a way to love. So are you praying for your enemy to be saved if they're not? Are you striving to live a life where they can see Jesus in you? A life that might help them come to the Father. Are you striving to help your enemies hear the gospel? Six, are you becoming more and more holy? If you belong to God, God's plan is that you're being shaped and changed, becoming more Christ-like in the way you treat others, in the kind of language you use. Are you, are you, uh, do, do you use language that's kind of filthy and coarse? Or is your language being shaped so that so you desire to walk in, in purity, even in the things that you say, even in the things you say to people? Do you like to to kind of lie and play games or are you striving to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect what about slander or gossip i mean you can kind of you can kind of put it in spiritual language and make it not look so evil but in reality scripture calls it what it is what about bitterness and grudges or impurity and lustful thoughts or lack of gratitude and ongoing complaining lack of prayer or study of god's word all of these areas and countless others are areas where god calls us to be in conformity to his very character. So think about all that Jesus has done for you. Think about how he loved you, even in the midst of the things that you've done against him, even in the the midst of all the ways that you've sinned against him and said to him, I don't care what you want, God, I'll do it my way. And every one of us has a list miles long. And yet Jesus has maintained an undying love for us. So let's strive to live out our identity as children of God. Now we talked a moment ago about Kayla Mueller. We've got to ask the question, how did she maintain her Christian faith? How did she she maintain her selflessness and her concern for others? Well, I don't know all the ways, but I, I believe that for the believer... One of the greatest motivations, as I mentioned a moment ago, is that our hope really isn't in this world, that our hope is in an eternity where everything is right, where there are no more tears, there are no more enemies, there are no more mean words, horrible actions, there are no more double motives or game playing. All that's gone. And we look forward to being with God in perfect fellowship. 
and enjoying perfect fellowship with each other without that sin factor coming in. And so as we look to that heavenly reward, we can face abuse, we can suffer hardship, insult, harm. Why? Because we have a greater treasure awaiting us, something that's better than any earthly comfort, far better. So let's willingly suffer for the sake of the gospel. Let's love our enemies. Let's pray for them. Let's demonstrate a beautiful and divine love to those who would harm us. So who is it that's classified as an enemy in your life? Will you love them? Will you put them on your prayer list? Will you strive to care for them? And finally, if you're here today, You've never become a part of God's family. You don't have to be his enemy. No, you can be his child. Today, if you'll call out to him and mean it, he'll save you for all eternity. Join me in prayer.